I think the stories of risk, particularly when you're young, they seem cataclysmic. And then you have many, many, many cycles of risk. And I think those things, building through them, persevering through them, you know, help set you up for the next one. Welcome to Speaking of Business, conversations with Canadian innovators, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. I'm Goldie Hyder, President and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. When Ben Cowan Dewar was 24 years old, he embarked on an ambitious and risky project to convert a former Cape Breton mining site into a world-class golf resort. There were lots of obstacles in his way, not the least of which was starting construction at the beginning of the 2008 financial crisis. But today, Cabot Cape Breton's golf courses are ranked amongst the top in the world. Ben is expanding. He's opening a new golf resort in St. Lucia next year, and he's working on another in Revelstoke, BC. As Canada's economy starts to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, I wanted to speak with Ben about his journey. This year on the podcast, we're discussing economic growth. So I wanted to know what are the lessons he's learned about ambition and risk that others can learn from? Let's find out. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Goldie. How are you? I'm doing well. It's really good to see you, and thank you for making the time. Let's jump right into it. Let's talk about ambition, where I, I just left off the introduction. You know, you're, you're 24 years old. You've never designed a golf course uh, before. What made you think you could actually do this? There was a great line by uh, a Nova Scotia writer, John DeMont, and uh, I know I didn't say it because it was such an eloquent quote, but what uh, I think he paraphrased it as, I didn't think I couldn't do it more than I thought I could. So I'd played most of the world's great golf courses by then. I'd started a business out of the University of Toronto while I was a student. And, you know, that had given me a real global perspective on great golf. And while I'd never designed and I'd never developed, I'd never worked in a restaurant, I'd never worked in a hotel or a golf course, and I'd certainly never built a building I sort of had the enduring belief that we had one of the most spectacular pieces of property in the world and uh, that we could find and we needed to find a lot of great people to help us achieve a, a big dream. So a bit of audacity to it. Uh, a little bit of audacity. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of youthful naivety. That doesn't you know, hurt. For sure. That doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. And, uh, <laughs> and I think, you know, when uh, when I meet young entrepreneurs, you know, one of the things I remind them of is they have so little to lose. It seems like a lot at 24, but I think it uh, it's a very different experience than when you have family and, uh, and other responsibilities. So it's safe to assume you're a pretty good golfer, eh? Uh, I was a pretty good golfer, and then we started <laughs> building golf courses in far-fun places. Oh, sure, I, use I still that excuse. The game and, yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly. that's a new one. I still love the game, and I think COVID, uh, COVID's brought me back to it like it has so many people and giving me the opportunity. But I think, you know, as much as I love the game of golf, I always really loved golf courses and particularly great ones. And I love the camaraderie. And, you know, if I'd been in widgets, I would have met a lot fewer people than I was in golf. And, uh, and so, you know, many aspects of the game I love, but, uh, but certainly golf courses were always one of the things that really shone through. Well, we'll certainly come back to some of what you just said, particularly about COVID, but let's stay on the sort of that theme of ambition and audacity and, and risk-taking. It's, I mean, it really sounds improbable that you wanted to attract golfers from around the world to a, a mining town that's being converted into a golf course. It's very, very remote, an extremely remote part of Canada. 
what lessons would you have learned, I guess, in terms of risk taking? Because it all sounds so risky. Well, and I think again, in you know, in hindsight, Goldie obviously it was, and and again at twenty four, you know, to borrow uh, you know Dean Connor's line of you know he can close his eyes and see something in Technicolor. I could see the golf course in Technicolor, and I don't think I was focused on the second golf course or the you know the hospitality and the fact that we would need to and eventually employ hundreds of people. I was really focused on the singular thing. And I think, you know, when, when people talk about, you know, vision, a lot of that can be incremental. I think it's easy to look back on something. And and obviously 17 years later, we've had a lot of success in Cape Breton and given ourselves a platform to grow globally. But I think the reality is we had to start somewhere, right? And it was the first golf course at Cabot Links was modest in its overall scale of investment compared to what we've done all these years later. But it was sort of the first bite of the the elephant we had to take. And that was the focus. And so, you know, now that it looks like a foregone conclusion, you know, we really were starting relatively small and building incrementally and building on that success. Safe to say that one has a special place in your heart? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, I remember being with a great golf course architect who was a Canadian, Jeff Corner, who'd been a part of building Capilano and Highlands Links in, in Cape Breton. And I'd been with him, he was around 90 at that point in um, 2002. It's about what I shoot, so it's a good number. <laughs> exactly. And I said to him, you know, Jeff, what's your favorite golf course? And he said, well, you know, it's a lot like your children, like you can't really pick one. And I remember thinking it was just the lamest answer. I was, you know, in my early 20s at the time. And but now that we've been able to do a few of them, I mean, they all have a special place in your heart. But I think, you know, the first uh, the first course at Cabot Links and watching it come out of the ground and, and really against all odds, because, you know, you talk about risk, the risk of the initial idea and the risk of pursuing it and the risk of betting everything I had to do it felt mitigated when I found the most amazing partner and friend to back me who had really done this gold. I mean, he, Mike Kaiser had built Bandon Dunes in Oregon and backed a young Canadian who had never done any of it and, you know, really gave me a chance. But then we ran into the financial crisis and I'd moved from downtown Toronto with my wife to Inverness, Nova Scotia, who was very pregnant with our first child. And then the financial crisis basically was a depression for golf course construction. So, you know, I think the stories of risk, particularly when you're young, they seem cataclysmic and, then you have many, many, many cycles of risk. And I think those things, building through them, persevering through them, you know, help set you up for the next one. You might have some explaining to do at home. That sure sounded like you liked your firstborn better there. But uh, let me move on to uh, Anne McClellan and Lisa Raid, who were on our podcast uh, just earlier this month. And they're talking about Canada's sort of post-economic transition. I want to just play a clip for you from Lisa Raitt, also a Cape Bretoner, as you well know, and this is her thoughts on Cape Breton. So let's play the clip. Cape Breton is a really good example of what happens when you don't have a master plan and you're transitioning your economy. And I lived it through the 70s and 80s, and Anne knows full well what it was like because she was a cabinet minister during the time trying to deal with some serious economic issues in a part of the world where I think a plan would have been helpful. You have a very unique vantage point when it comes to reviving communities where jobs have been lost. How challenging is it to bring new industry and investment into an economy that is, you know, in the words of Lisa Raitt, transitioning? 
Well, and I think, you know, I think Lisa was talking about the 70s and the 80s and obviously mm -hmm. the loss of uh, the loss of steel. But if you think about Inverness, Inverness's coal mine, which started mining in 1880, stopped in the 50s and uh, in 53. And so probably even more acute, my wife's family were from Cape Breton, which was part of the original lure, but it wasn't how I found the site. But her uh, her grandmother is still alive at 104 in Glace Bay. And I remember when we said we were doing the project in Inverness, Grammy said, no one goes to Inverness, you know, and she was a Cape Bretoner living in Glace Bay. And, and really, it was true. People had driven around the town of Inverness. I'd been to Cape Breton many times as a tourist. But so Inverness was even probably more acutely impacted. And for a much longer time, their industry had left more than 50 years before I walked into the town of Inverness for the first time in December of 04. So, you know, I think uh, I think it was a, a brutal transition, which really, really hadn't taken hold 50 years later when when we got there. Unemployment was still really high. And, you know, and it was really the vision of the town fathers, because it was a group of men who had really fostered this dream of a golf course on the site that had been a you know, a mine site. And so the first meeting on turning this site into golf predated me, you know, it was in 1969, they'd had a, a meeting. So I think they had a dream, they had an idea, but it was, uh, it was an awfully tough road. I must say, I, you know, I remember going out to uh, New Waterford, Nova Scotia, back in grade 12, playing the Coal Bowl. And it was the first trip out east for me. And, and you are so reflective of the people of that region. They're just the nicest people I think you can meet in Canada. So I'm happy for your, your success now. But your success, as you noted, came with a lot of obstacles in the way. I mean, you were basically building Cabot Cape Breton during the 2008 downturn, as you referenced earlier. What were you able to learn that helped inform you now that you're managing the next big crisis of covid Look, I think we could talk for an hour about the need for great mentors. And one of the amazing things about being an entrepreneur in Canada is the support you get from great Canadians who are farther along the path. And and I've had way more than my fair share of that, including really the Atlantic Canadians. I'd grown up in rural Canada in Ontario. So I think I had a fondness for rural Canada and for rural Canadians, which really made moving to Inverness not the most far-flung idea in the world from downtown Toronto. But I think when I watched through the financial crisis, and again, I really felt like everything I'd worked for for four years, and we hadn't really opened anything, we'd just gotten started, was at huge risk. And I would watch these great Canadians in their 60s, 70s, and 80s take a really long view. And I thought, well, it's easy for them. They've already been successful. But what you realize is, it's easy for them because they've been through cycles. And I watched from a couple of posts from my role at Cabot and obviously chairing Destination Canada, the Federal Crown and Tourism through just an absolutely existential crisis for tourism that isn't over. I mean, it's still ongoing. And 18 months later, it's, it's still acute mm -hmm. in many parts of the country. And I think it'll change the face of the industry. But I think at the same time, with that perspective, it's a lot easier. And when I talk to the younger entrepreneurs who it's their first crisis, I mean, I think you remember to keep a level head and uh, you have good problem solving skills and you have people who are, you know, really cheering for your success. And, uh, and so I think those were the lessons from 08 that, you know, we really needed to rely on because COVID was, 
was absolutely, you know, an unbelievable risk that if we had sat around for a weekend to come up with the greatest risk we could have faced as a business, you know, we never would have come up with that. You and I have had um, more than a half a dozen conversations in those 18 months. And I haven't heard you say that phrase, uh, change the face of the industry that you just said. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I think we've seen decisions that have been made that will forcibly change. And I think, you know, ranging from, again, living and working in our home office in Toronto, I didn't go to Nova Scotia in 2020. And, uh, you know, there was a session this week with WestJet and the Halifax airport. And one of the WestJet executives said, look, the view from Alberta is that Nova Scotia is not welcoming. And he said he thought Halifax had the biggest hole to climb out of from an air traffic standpoint. And it really is the regional hub for Atlantic Canada. And so, you know, you think about what in the world could have happened that I wouldn't have gone to Nova Scotia for the first time in 20 years, you know, and so the the regulation of intercountry travel, we've lost so much market share as a country and our airlines in air access. And in our business, we are incredibly dependent on not just Canadians, but Americans and beyond. And even the Canadians, you know, Ontario is by far the largest market for us. Western Canada is a, you know, really good market. Quebec. So, you know, forced to operate a business without 90% of your market with just an Atlantic bubble, I think that will have long lasting impacts. I think the other piece is because of those impacts, people who were lost from the workforce, I, I don't think will come back. I don't think we'll see as many people. And so I think to deliver tourism, which is a sector that obviously I think is vital to the country's economy. But one of the things that people don't know is it's just so significant, an employer from coast to coast to coast. It's also the only way we market the country outside of the country. It's, it's the brand of the country. It's how many first-time Canadians come to the country and are exposed to it. It's how people form relationships that lead to investment. You know, leisure routes create business travel linkages. So, I mean, I think its importance, while undermined perhaps at the Department of Finance due to its relatively, you know, low wages, is offset by the fact that it's a ladder out of inequality in so many communities. It's a first time job for so many people. And I think that the face of that employment base will be changed forever by it. And, and I think, you know, how we deliver will change too. And I think it'll have to. I think, you know, we've seen wage inflation, people, um, you know, moving. And yet I think for the rural destinations versus the city hotels, there's probably more appeal to live in rural Canada than we've ever had before. Now, you mentioned uh, your your leadership at Destinations Canada. What are you discussing around that that board table in terms of the importance of tourism to Canada for the reasons you cited, in some cases, the relationships are people who meet and get married as a result of traveling here. Is it possible that we're too reliant on tourism? Is, there, is, that, is that even a consideration? No, I mean, I think, you know, look, I chaired Destination Canada for over four years and, uh, and my term ended earlier this year. I also, you know, represented tourism and hospitality on the economic strategy table, which I know you're well aware of, even if uh, if most of your listeners wouldn't have heard of it. But, you know, I think one of the things about tourism that I would say, and it was, you know, I remember Dominic Barton having a lunch in Halifax, you know, and giving a presentation at a conference 
must have been in 2012 or 13, maybe, maybe 11. And he had the seven economies or the seven economic drivers of Canada in the next century. And tourism was one of them. And uh, I've long admired, uh, long admired Dom, but I sort of forged a relationship there because in a room of business executives and bank executives, I said it was the first time I was invited to the adult table from the kid table <laughs> at, a, uh, at a business conference. And literally people were looking at him saying, tourism, really? But I think even in Atlantic Canada, let alone Canada, you know, this is something that we are truly world class at, that we have an unbelievably unique proposition that oh, we're you know, great 20, hosts. 20 years ago, we were in the top 10 destinations. We're right now still in the top five brands in the world for tourism. So I would say not to rely. And it also is something that works in rural Canada, which we've seen as someone who's spent more than half of my life living in rural Canada you know, rural Canada has been like rural world, you know, hollowed out over the last 50 years. And the things that made sense 50 years ago don't make sense, but tourism still does. And so I think it's a great brand builder. It's a great on-ramp to the workforce, you know, and I think we've lost, uh, we've lost a lot of market share and we've lost a lot of luster to the sector. So I think we have a lot of rebuilding to do to get back to realizing its potential. Yeah. And for many young people, it's their first foray into the employment market. So you're absolutely right about that. Look, we've covered a lot of ground there. You did say something that um, perhaps our listeners have, have not been seized with the Industry Strategy Council work and the work of uh, Monique LaRue and the group for which you were a member. It's a federal government commissioned report that was uh, tabled late in 2020. It's obviously not on top of mind for most Canadians, and I suspect many aren't aware of it, but I would certainly encourage them to to read it in detail. But um, from your perspective, give me a single takeaway that's like, this is the most important thing coming out of this Industry Strategy Council, where you met with a thousand stakeholders and you heard from people from all different walks of life. What did you learn? What was the one thing that you want us to all be aware of? Well, I think that, Canadians are amazingly interconnected. And yet, whenever you talk to an industry group, you know, there becomes this real focus on almost like a clan like bias to, you know, let me tell you why agriculture or fisheries or forestry or mining or financial services or, you know, aerospace. Or tourism, what, for example. Yeah, or tourism, <laughs> or tourism. Uh, you know, is the most important thing to Canada. And I think, you know, what I really noticed as we talked to people, particularly in remote geographies, is the interconnectedness of all of this. So again, when you think about, you know, our airlines who have suffered brutally through the last 18 months and their role of transporting people from the north to hospitals, their role of connecting grandparents in St. John's to grandchildren in Fort McMurray, and that creating an air linkage that allows people to go back and forth to work and support their family, that creates cargo routes for our products. I think that, you know, one of the things that you'd really see and you'd sort of, you know, we had so many terrific members of the table, but transportation linkages, which were vitally important to agriculture in Saskatchewan, were vitally important to energy in Alberta, were vitally important to tourism through the Rockies. And, and I think that there's a real, there was a real awareness as you touch so many parts of the economy of how interlinked these things were versus thinking of them as silos that that really didn't have massive overlap and 
you know, again, tourism is a huge part of air travel, but connecting family members and across a country where we're unlikely to go back to rail travel as the primary mode in such a vast land, you sort of realize those air linkages connect communities with food, services, goods, and and our ability to sell our outbound services to the world rely on on that. So I, I think really that would have been my takeaway, Goldie. Not that I wouldn't have thought that or you wouldn't have thought that, but it was just the resounding thing of how many people linked so many parts of the economy into uh, into how connected they were versus they were these silos competing for attention. And in some ways, we've covered off your, your origins. We've covered off your challenges, uh, both with 08 and, and COVID. Let's look forward optimistically, if we can, a little bit here. And a lot of this podcast has been about transition, right? Transition. And as this country recovers from the pandemic, it seems rather evident that we're going to need not just different thinking, but creative thinking to help us grow and, and recover and, and exceed it. So I want to know from your perspective, is there a big idea that you think could help transform Canada? Well, I, uh, I love big ideas. I think, you know, the big idea that I think would transform Canada is longer term thinking, bigger dreams and a desire to build things rather than sell. So, you know, when we think about Cabot, which was recognized two weeks ago by the USA Today as the number one in 11 courses in the world, it was a far-flung dream to build a golf course in uh, in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. But I think the reality was, if we did something that was truly world-class, people from around the world would find it. And 17 years in, and, you know, there's so many wonderful Canadian entrepreneurs in their 80s who tell me I need younger friends, but who have built amazing businesses over 60-plus years. And they're my exemplars, and they have built amazing businesses that have gone both across the country, but certainly global. Everybody had to go globally to compete at that scale. And, you know, for us, it's given us a platform to be able to expand both in Canada and Revelstoke, British Columbia, but into the Caribbean, into the UK and into the US. And and I think we came up with a different model of a direct-to-consumer model. So it's not just a dream big on the original idea. It's a keep building on that dream and I joke with my team, although they know I'm not joking, that I think I've got a good 48 years left in me of doing this. And I think if that's your time horizon and you're looking global, I think that's the thing that I love. And when I look at the young Canadian entrepreneurs who I admire, they're thinking the same way. So I think there is, there's a lot of hope there. I think in the short term on a smaller tourism big dream, I think focus on the U.S. You know, the U.S. is a massive market. It was always our biggest market. We actually stopped marketing to the U.S. as a country a decade ago, which is crazy when you look at the tourism arrivals relative to the rest of the world combined. But I think that the U.S. market is back. The leisure market is back. And it's a chance for our Canadian airlines to win market share into cities that maybe we hadn't gone to as much before in the southern U.S. who are looking to escape the heat of the summer. And and I think that'll create business linkages and trade linkages and, and the chance to sell into the U.S. with better better access. So one may be higher level and one a bit more granular, but uh, but I think lots of opportunity for a wonderful country and wonderful people. That's a great place to stop because it really is uh, speaking to culture. It's speaking to who we are as a people. And so think big, 
dream, be ambitious, and build things. Ben, thanks for showing us how it's done, my friend. Goldie, thank you so much. I want to thank Ben Cowan-Dewar, co-founder and CEO of Cabot, for sharing his journey with us, for talking about his hopes for Canada, and how it is that we can recover from this crisis to help grow back our economy. If you would like to hear more of our Speaking of Business conversations with innovators, leaders, and entrepreneurs, why not subscribe to our podcast? Search for Speaking of Business wherever you get your podcasts, or simply go to our website at thebusinesscouncil.ca. Until next time, I'm Goldie Hyder. Thank you for joining us.